escaped on a legal technicality. Killed by his stepson, one of the Juliet Express robbers captured, the Boston conspiracy case, and much more on a year of crime is reported in the newspapers of West Tennessee for the 17th of March, 1886. Earl Paulette's Scapegrace Son A note to listeners, I had to look up the word scapegrace, never heard that word before, and it basically means a mischievous or wayward person, especially a young person or a child, also known as a rascal. So London, March 16th, Viscount Hinton, the scapegrace son of Earl Paulette, and who, to revenge himself upon his father for refusing to pay the young man's debts, recently took a circus to Crewkern, the Earl's village, advertising it as Viscount Hinton's unrivaled show was today sentenced to one year's imprisonment at hard labor for obtaining goods by means of false pretenses. Escaped on a legal technicality, special to the appeal. Pine Bluff, Arkansas, March 16th. Charlie Ward, charged with embezzlement of money in his capacity of clerk, was discharged from custody before the Cleveland Circuit Court today on one of the technicalities of criminal law. The case had been on trial for three days. The jury was impaneled and instructions argued where it occurred that he had never been arraigned. He was then arraigned and accused pled that his liberty had once been in jeopardy and he claimed a discharge which was granted by the court. Seceded after three desperate attempts special to the appeal. Chattanooga, Tennessee, March 16th. A remarkable suicide occurred at Washington in Rhea County, Tennessee today. Thomas Houston, a wealthy farmer, while laboring under a fit of Mental, men, mental aberration jumped into a well, but the water being too shallow to drown him, he climbed out and then attempted to end his existence by dashing out his brains against the stable. He made a second failure and finally succeeded in taking his life by hanging himself. One of the Juliet Express robbers captured, Shelbyville, Illinois, March 16th. Detectives this morning arrested James Bashirs, charging him with being one of the Juliet Express robbers. Bashirs had just returned to town after several days' absence and could not satisfactorily explain how he received an ugly-looking wound on his head. Killed by his stepson, a man shot down while beating his wife. Sensational shooting affray at Helena, Arkansas, the Rock Island train robbery. Special to the appeal. Forest City, Arkansas, March 16th. A boy named Johnson shot and killed his stepfather of the same name yesterday near Colt Station in Talico Township. The deceased had been cruel to his wife and she had come to this place to get out a warrant for him but was dissuaded from doing so. Yesterday morning, deceased was beating his wife and about to shoot her and the boy picked up a rifle and fired an ounce ball through him, killing him instantly. He sent word he would surrender to the sheriff but to no one else. The examination has not taken place yet. Shooting a fray at Helena, Arkansas, special to the appeal. Helena, Arkansas, March 16th. Last night, about 10 o'clock, Mr. S.C. Pepin and Mr. Harry Grindler, two well-known and popular businessmen of this place, had an altercation in the Cotton Exchange Saloon, Grindler's place of business, that came near terminatingly seriously. They had some misunderstanding about a trivial matter, and before friends could part them, went together and succeeded in bruising one another up considerably, Mr. Pepin getting the worst of the encounter. After they had been separated, Mr. Pepin went home, procured his revolver, and returned to the saloon and commenced firing at Mr. Grindler, who picked up a double-barrel shotgun from behind the counter, which, fortunately, was unloaded, and snapped both hammers at Mr. Pepin, 
who had in the meantime fired five shots, none of them taking effect save in a fine $200 French mirror, which was completely demolished. It is understood that the gentlemen have amicably adjusted the matter to the satisfaction of their numerous friends, who regretted it as an unfortunate affair. This morning, about 4 o'clock, Deputy Sheriff Burke, armed with a warrant for his arrest, went to the resident of a desperate character named Dow Hall and knocked on the door when he was informed by Hall's wife that he was not at home. The officer concluded, however, to wait in the yard until day for this man and this and was rewarded at that time by Hall opening the door, informing him that he would not come to Helena unless it was feet foremost. He then slammed the door to and fired the officer through a crack in the house, which was promptly returned by the officer until he heard Hall command his wife to bring his musket. The officer, realizing that he was placed at a great disadvantage, wisely concluded to come to the city and get assistance in return and arrest him. Officer Burke is of the opinion that he wounded Hall as he took deliberate aim at his side through a crack in the house. The Rock Island Express Robbery Regular listeners will remember this story from the March 14th episode. Chicago, Illinois, March 16th. The developments this forenoon in the Rock Island train robbery and murder mystery were all in the line connected. Mike Humphreys, a desperate character with the crime. Humphreys is well known to the Chicago police he having served a term of imprisonment in the county jail for robbery. He made his home at Morris and was arrested there some three years ago on the charge of safe-blowing. Humphreys has the identical shade of hair, tufts of which were found clutched in Nichols' hand when his body was discovered. He formerly worked in the coal pit at Morris and when going to and from work was accustomed to jump on a freight train and ride the distance. Humphreys was an agile, athletic fellow, and his feats of jumping on and off moving trains were well known to his companions. His reputation for skill in this respect was what directed suspicion against him at first. The United States Express Company today settled all outstanding claims involved by the robbery of their safe on the Rock Island Road and paid over $21,510 in cash. That is exactly the amount of money that was taken, said Mr. Wygant. The jewelry did not amount to much. Its value is hardly worth talking about. The Boston Conspiracy Case Boston, Massachusetts, March the 16th. Anna C. Coolridge, charged with conspiracy to murder Mrs. Mellon of Baltimore, pleaded guilty in the criminal court this morning. A number of prominent persons of Baltimore had been indicted as parties to the conspiracy, and the action of Mrs. Coolidge will greatly assist the state in making out a case against them for this reason. It is thought Mrs. Coolidge's sentence will be light. Trafficking in Young Girls Reading, Pennsylvania, March 14th. Before an alderman of this city, there appeared yesterday afternoon a respectable farmer of Upper Le Lehigh named Moses Wagonhorst, who related a story of the successful enticement from home of seven young girls, the daughters of respectable farmers in his neighborhood. For several weeks past, two patriarchal-looking men, pretending to be Mormon missionaries, endeavored to make proselytes among the farmers, advising them to sell out and go to Utah. The good-looking young girls were next approached, and stories poured into their ears of the golden opportunities presented them to lead lives of ease and luxury by becoming the wives of Mormon priests in Utah. The bait was swallowed by seven of the unsophisticated maidens who left their homes and friends last week accompanied by the strangers, their parents giving a half-reluctant consent. The true character of the missionaries was soon discovered when the party landed in New York City. The girls were taken to disreputable houses and efforts made to compel them to lead a life of shame. 
Four of them have just returned home, telling a pitiful tale. The other three could not face their parents, they said, and remained in the clutches of the men who entrapped them. The city being entirely unfamiliar to them, the girls could not give any information as to the locality where they were taken. This next article is not about a crime, but it reminds me of an episode of The Night Gallery, and I just had to include it here. Terrible Torture, Spartanburg, South Carolina, March 13th. This morning, Mr. J. Burton Smith brought his grown son to Spartanburg to have him committed to the lunatic asylum. In last September, an earwig entered his ear. He suffered excruciating torture. His head became so swollen that it burst at the temple. Twelve days ago, pressure upon the neck forced the putrid little viper from his ear, but its sufferings have been so intense that his intellect is gone. His mind is a blank. The next group of articles are under the title, News in Brief. Louisville, Kentucky, March 16th. A Courier-Journal special says J.B. Caldwell and Albert Sally quarreled last night at Danville, Kentucky, and Sally shot and killed Caldwell. Both are well-connected. Marshall, Texas, March 16th. The men brought from New Orleans yesterday refused to go to work and were today arrested and carried to Jefferson, where they were placed in jail. They are charged with contempt and intimidation and with defrauding the company having, having accepted transportation from New Orleans under promise of working. Two men were hung in effigy last night, and placards bearing the words scabs, take warning, were attached to the figures. Wilcox, Arizona, March 16th. A courier from Camp Lieutenant Mouse reports that the latter has four Apaches who came in saying that all hostiles wish to surrender conditionally. General Crook will proceed to Lieutenant Mouse Camp as soon as possible to effect the surrender. Criminal Court. The proceedings in that tribunal yesterday. Mr. Fraser Barrett Shipley of the Memphis City Railway Company, indicted for obstructing streets, filed a bill of exceptions yesterday and took an appeal to the Supreme Court. J.W. James, for shooting young Robards at Cuba, had his case reset yesterday for the 23rd instant. George Green, alias Hoghead, for knocking a roustabout in the head, was sentenced to 90 days and fined $10. Ben LeGrant was fined $50 in 60 days for carrying concealed weapons. Jack Parbin was sentenced to 30 days and fined $25 for petty larceny. Frank Phillips, William Roberts, and Robert Graham for attempting to rob the safe of the Brinkley Lumber Company pled guilty and will be sentenced today. Purchasing Arms in Texas, Shreveport, Louisiana, March 16th. A rumor that arms were being purchased yesterday to be used against the strikers at Marshall and along the line of the Texas and Pacific Road for the protection of property created no little excitement. Investigation developed the fact that United States Marshal Reagan of the Eastern District of Texas had sent a request to the railroad agent here to purchase a number of the latest improved Winchester rifles for his deputies. Several were purchased and forwarded last night. The agent received a telegram that enough means had been secured through the United States authorities and further purchases seized. The Trouble at Goldsboro, New Orleans, Louisiana, March 16th. The striking shopman of the Texas and Pacific Railroad at Goldsboro succeeded last night in preventing the departure of a freight train. 150 men intimidated the engineer. On application of receiver Sheldon, Judge Billings of the United States Court ordered Marshall Pleasance to afford the necessary protection to those in charge of the Texas and Pacific property. 
Deputy marshals were sent out at once for Goldsboro, and an effort will be made to run a freight train under the protection of the federal court. Sheldon states that they intend to test the most the question of protection under the United States court. A warning to listeners that one of the stories in this next section contains offensive language. The next section of the paper is titled City News. D.W. Voorhees, a steamboatman, was arrested yesterday for swindling a man named Brown of $18. Several persons who have failed to put proper numbers on their houses according to the recent ordinances were arrested yesterday. Most of them reside on Hernando Street. The grand jury yesterday indicted James Martin, William Irwin, and T.R. Davis for obtaining goods from Oliver, Finney, and company on orders to which the name of Mrs. Moffat was forged. Stephen Foy, the murderer of his mistress, Annie Stokes, was arraigned in the criminal court yesterday and pled not guilty. Indictments were found by the grand jury yesterday against Mike Madden and V.A. Rawlings, who were armed with pistols in the first ward on the day of the election of Justice Buttonberg. There were no witnesses against Mr. McMahon and Dan O'Donnell for carrying concealed weapons, and their cases were continued. A day or two since a darkie named Wesley Brooks called on Chief Davis and told him his wife drove him away from home some months ago and had since retained possession of all his goods, which she declined to relinquish. The woman was sent for and at first would listen to nothing except a divorce, though she finally decided to abide by the chief's decision. He advised the man to pay $10 upon his wife's promise to relinquish his effects. She wanted to keep the clock, but he would not listen, and she finally gave up everything, receiving the money offered. Now I want it understood I am Lucinda Green, she said as she floated out of the office. And that's the crime news for the 17th of March, 1886. Thank you for listening, and please join me again for another episode of A Year of Crime, as reported in the newspapers of West Tennessee.